Hi, I'm Arlen Hamilton, and you're listening to Arlen's Academy, the podcast that teaches everything you need to know about launching a successful business or working at one, all in one place. Arlen's Academy is brought to you completely free by HireRunner.co. HireRunner is my new recruiting company that connects outstanding operations talent with inclusive startups. If you're looking for talent or you want to apply to be a runner, visit HireRunner.co. Remember, all of the material you're about to hear is accessible online at arlensacademy.com. If you're enjoying what you're learning and want to dig even deeper and learn more, visit the site now. Be sure to tell your friends. We are going to move on to the trademark section of this presentation. So I love trademarks and I love them because like you, I am a consumer. Everyone spends money on something and we know the importance of a brand and the importance of a trademark. So a trademark is what's called a source identifier. So it has to function as a source identifier to qualify as a trademark. Let me tell you more about what that means. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about some trademark myths. So we just dispel all the myths before we get into the real nitty gritty of the trademark presentation. Did you know you actually can trademark scents? You can trademark sounds and you can even trademark colors. So let's think about the NBC chime. Doom, doom, doom. That's trademarked. Let's think about red bottom shoes or the Tiffany blue color box that the jewelry comes in. That's right. You can trademark scents. You can trademark sounds. You can trademark colors. So start thinking about that if you want your brand to basically be one of those things. It's possible. Now, you can also trademark three-dimensional shapes. Think about the glass-shaped Coca-Cola bottle. That's trademarked. So if you have some unique packaging where every time your customers see that packaging, they associate that with your brand, you can file for a trademark and get that trademark registered. Here's a good one. Everyone wants to know what is the difference between the TM symbol and the R symbol with the circle. Those are not synonymous. So right now, while you're watching this presentation, if you have not filed your trademark application, it has not registered, you can use the TM symbol to let people know, hey, I have common law rights in a brand, and this TM symbol represents that I'm using Evans IP law TM as a brand. But that R symbol with the circle actually signifies that you have gone through the USPTO process and they've actually allowed you to register a federal trademark. So once you get that federal trademark, you can put the R symbol. And although it's not required, it's recommended to put others on notice that you hold the federal trademark. But I want to caution you, don't use that R symbol prior to registering your trademark because you can be liable for what's called false marking. So be careful with that. Now, here's another good one, and I think it makes sense once you read it. But did you know that just because you own a domain name, that doesn't mean you own the trademark? And owning a trademark obviously doesn't mean you own the domain name. Now, let's talk about that in a little bit. So domain name can function 
as more of an address. So if I tell you to meet me at 12345 Main Street and you get there and you see the sign on the door says the law firm of Andrea Hintz Evans, you wouldn't trademark 12345 Main Street. You trademark the law firm of Andrea Hintz Evans. Similarly, when you see a domain name, abc.com, and you get to the site and it says, welcome to Abracadabra, we wouldn't trademark that domain name, but I do want you to know that domain names can be trademarked if they function as a brand. And a good example of that would be Match.com. They've branded that domain name as an actual brand. And on commercials and when you see them, it says, welcome to Match.com. So domain names can be trademarked if they function as a source identifier. However, just because you own your domain name does not mean you own the trademark. Now, here's another good one. So just because you create a business brand in a state, that doesn't mean you own the rights to that brand in other states. The beauty of a federal trademark, ladies and gentlemen, is that it allows you to enforce that trademark against others in all 50 states. So they are extremely valuable. So. Before you even consider filing your trademark, I want you to take a look at it. Of course, we talked about the importance of researching your invention when we talked about patents, but you also have to research your name, research these trademarks, and take a look at it before you file. Because why file a trademark application only to be rejected? Or why even launch a business using a name that someone else is already using because the worst thing that could happen is you get a cease and desist letter, have to destroy all of your products, have to rebrand, and basically throw money down the drain. So there's a spectrum of trademarks from strong to weak. Let's talk about that. A strong trademark is going to be a word you make up. Google is a good example of that. Doesn't have a dictionary definition. It's a word they made up. So then we move down the spectrum to words that are considered arbitrary. An example of an arbitrary word is going to be Apple for computers. So we know Apple means something in the dictionary. We all know what an Apple is. But when it's related to a computer company, it's actually considered a strong brand because it's just an arbitrary word. Now, sometimes a lot of people say, look, I want a very descriptive term. I want people to know exactly what I'm doing in my business. But be careful because descriptive terms are considered weaker trademarks. So you come to me and say, Attorney Evans, I want to trademark lavender for a lotion company. Well, we know lavender is a scent. It's an ingredient. So lavender describes a feature of your products and services. So the government will allow you possibly to register that if there's no confusion. But it's going to be a weaker trademark, which means it's harder to enforce. So don't be surprised if I have Andrea's lotion company and I say, my lotion smells like lavender. Of course, you cannot trademark a generic word. So they're not going to allow you to trademark shoes for shoes, pants for pants. So when you're creating your brands, you want to create a strong brand if you can. And of course, sometimes we have to have strong words combined with weak words so people understand what we're doing. So if I just walk up to you and say, hi, my business name is Andrea. You don't know what that is. When I say Andrea's law firm, oh, you own a law firm. Andrea's shoe company. Okay, you sell shoes. The government's going to say, fine, we'll allow you to register that trademark, 
Well, we want you to disclaim exclusive rights from using law firm and those kind of generic words so that if you want to be James Law Firm, I can't stop you from using law firm. So conduct a search, definitely, and try to choose words that are strong so that you can have a strong trademark. Now, here's one of the biggest points that I'd like to make about trademark applications. So a lot of people basically like to think small and they don't understand that you actually do not have to be using that trademark to start the process and file your trademark application. I'm just going to stop right there because I know some of you, I can feel it through the computer. You're saying, wow, I didn't know that. That's right. Right now, you may be saying, hey, I intend to use Andrea for a law firm. I haven't used it yet, but I plan on it. And you can file your trademark application with the intent to use that trademark for something. Or many of you may be watching and you're saying, look, I've been in business for a while and never knew that I needed a trademark. Well, you're in use because you're actually using that trademark. Now, when we talk about using, though, we're talking about interstate commerce. So I'm not talking about using it because it's the name that your mom gave you or using it because every time you speak, you say that word or it's your favorite word or people associate you as a person. We're talking about actually sending products across state lines with the mark on the packaging or the product. And then with services, so we're talking about you actually offering a service to someone in and out of the state. So that's right. That's going to be easy for all of you because we're talking about you doing business or intending to do business in and out of your state. Now, here's some mistakes to avoid. When you file a trademark application to get a filing date, you at least want to ensure that you have your name on the application and your address. You want to make sure that you've listed any goods and services. Now, the goods and services that you identify are the products and services that you're either using that trademark on or you're intending to use that trademark on. So you may say, hey, right now I'm selling pants and I'm using it, but I do plan to also sell jewelry. So you'd identify that. Or you may have a company where you say, hey, I'm selling pants, jewelry, and everything's in use. But we think about products and services that people can essentially pay you for. So not a tablecloth because you put it on a tablecloth and you're going to a presentation because I can't call up that company and order a tablecloth. So think about that. Now, you want to identify what the trademark is, and that's called your drawing. So that could be words that we type in or that could be an image that we upload. So make sure that's clear. And last but not least, I told you all about the fees. You do have to make sure that you pay those patent office fees when you're filing your application. So what's unique about my background is that I actually worked at the patent office as a patent examiner and a trademark attorney. Now, in that capacity, my job was to examine patents and issue them. And my job was to also examine trademarks and issue and or reject them or refuse them. So here, um, I want to explain to you what happens when you file that application. Essentially, three months later, file, after you file your trademark application, it's going to be assigned to the USPTO trademark examiner. Now, at that time, that examiner is going to research. And when they research, they're going to determine if there's what's called a likelihood of confusion. Now, it doesn't have to be actual confusion, just a likelihood of confusion. 
And what they're looking at is basically, is there a similar or identical mark that has identical or closely related goods or services? Now, what that means is I can be Andrea for a law firm. You can be Andrea for a shoe company and both of us can coexist. Although our names are identical, our products and services aren't related. So a consumer is not going to think a law firm is selling shoes and a shoe company is a law firm. Now, if I'm Andrea for a shoe company and you want to be Andrea for a stock company, that may be a little tricky, right? Because those are products that are used together. So honestly, you can just step back as a consumer and ask yourself, you know, would someone likely be confused? It doesn't have to be identical. It just has to basically be similar or identical. So it can be identical, but if something is similar, if I'm Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, and you want to be Andrea, U-N-D-R-E-A, that's going to cause a problem because it's pronounced the same. It looks the same. It has the same commercial impression. So definitely do your own research. But of course, consult with an attorney like myself to help you. Now, the other thing is be careful when you are choosing trademarks because you want to make sure that you have a strong trademark like we talked about. We talked about descriptive terms. So if your trademark is descriptive, you're going to likely get a refusal from the government saying, hey, we didn't find anything confusingly similar with lavender, so no one's registered it. But we want to let you know that this is going to be a weaker trademark. So it's going to be descriptive. Now, sometimes people get what's called a misdescriptive refusal, and that's where they file an application and you call it lavender and they come back and say, hey, you filed this with lavender and that's an ingredient. Then you say, no, as a matter of fact, it's not um, an ingredient. So now it's misdescriptive because as a consumer, when I see lavender for beauty products, I'm assuming it's something related to lavender. Now, here's the other thing. There's also a primarily geographically descriptive refusal and a, and a primarily a surname. And let's talk about that. Those are weaker trademarks. Texas barbecue or, you know, you have a state name or some country name in your brand. That's going to be geographically descriptive because if you're filing Andrea's Texas barbecue, they're going to say, hey, Texas barbecue is descriptive. Disclaim that. Or if you just want to be Texas barbecue by itself, they're going to say, look, that's geographically descriptive because you're selling barbecue out of Texas. And then a surname is your last name. So those are going to be weaker trademarks, especially if you have a common last name like I do. I have Evans as a last name. Well, that's going to be a surname refusal where they're going to say, look, we can give you this because if no one has it, if there's no likelihood of confusion. But it's going to be a weaker trademark because they're likely a lot of evidence. So let's keep going. Here are some benefits. And this is one of my favorite slides because people say, why do I even need to trademark in the first place? Well, here's, here's why. First of all, it puts others on constructive notice nationwide of your claim. So what that means is they can't say they didn't know. You file it, you get the filing date and start that process. For someone to challenge you, they have to prove that they used it before that filing date. So that's definitely a benefit. Now, there's also the presumption of ownership. If you get a federal trademark registration, it's assumed that you own it. And then also the beauty of this is jurisdiction and federal courts can be invoked, which means you can basically action in federal court. The beauty of this practice that I have in intellectual property is that it's federal. So I'm able to represent clients all over the world, 
with U.S. intellectual property issues. So because it's federal, you're able to go to federal court and not your state court. Also, one of the key benefits is you can use this registration as a basis for obtaining registration in a foreign country. So if that's something you're interested in, we can talk about that specifically um, in terms of which countries you want to go into. But that's an option that this U.S. trademark can serve as a priority date. And then we all know about counterfeit goods. You want to make sure that if you think that there's a chance that there will be counterfeit goods coming from other countries, you can actually use your trademark registration and register it at customs to prevent importation of infringing foreign goods. So that is definitely a benefit. Here's some good trademark resources. So you can go to uspto.gov forward slash trademarks forward slash resources. Now that link is going to point you to frequently asked questions. Although, like I said, for patents, you're not required to hire an attorney. It is recommended because remember, all of this is a legal process and my federal trademark is investing your idea. So you want to invest in it. But I like to do presentations like this because I want to get you thinking. I want to make you aware of all your options. So before you consult with an attorney, you can actually do a little research on your own and be more empowered when you sit down and talk to them to say, hey, I found this. Can you explain it? But your search and your research for your patents and for your trademarks should not be a substitute for hiring a professional to get that done. If you want to go to the USPTO site to search your trademark, you can go to this link, http forward slash tmsearch.uspto.gov. Of course, you can go to Google because here's the thing. If someone is using your trademark, so if you Google it and you see there's already another Andrea being used for shoes, even if that person didn't register the trademark, you don't want to file that trademark application because someone else is already using it. So you can cut your losses and change the name. You know, and I, and I get a lot of calls from people saying, oh, but when I researched it, they didn't trademark it. It doesn't matter because they'd have those common law rights that we talked about. Last but not least, I've authored all about trademarks and that's sold on Amazon or evansiplaw.com forward slash books. So check that out. That's a great resource that walks you through what to expect when you file a trademark application and what can be trademarked. Now, before I go on to social media and how what's required to protect your brand on social media, I want to do a recap about what can even be trademarked in the first place. So a word can be trademarked, a symbol can be trademarked, a sound, a scent, an image. And remember, that has to be either intended to be used on a product or a service or you're actually using it on a product or a service. So Andrea can be filed for a law firm, but you have to identify those goods and services. And last but not least, I want to make sure we're clear that even if you haven't launched, but you know you intend to use that name for products or services, you can start this process. And this is a process at the USPTO, and it can take at least a year to go through the USPTO trademark process, not because anything's wrong, just because it's the legal process at the government and it takes time. Now, as a bonus, when you are creating these valuable brands, 
and we are helping you to trademark them, I want you all to start thinking about securing names on social media. So what I want to tell you all is often as consumers, we assume that if your brand is Andrea, that you're going to be at Andrea on social media or that you're going to be Andrea.com. So when you know that you have a name that you want to secure at the USPTO or a brand that you're planning to use, go ahead and reserve those usernames on social media. Because what happens if you don't is everything that we file is public and there are people who basically intentionally will lock in those names and they're free and then try to sell them. So you want to have control over your brand. Go ahead and reserve them on the site. You also want to control your reputation on social media sites. So lock it in and then that will help to ensure that you're not going to be Andrea number two or my Andrea. And it helps to control your reputation because you have the brand that matches what the brand name is on social media. And just like patents, it's up to you to police your trademark. So don't accept, don't expect the USPTO to police your trademark. Now they research and they look at that likelihood of confusion, but that doesn't mean they always get it right. So it's up to you to police and enforce your trademark. And don't expect social media sites to do that for you. But the good thing is social media sites will work with you to help shut down imposter occurring. But, you know, hands down, if you have that trademark registration, that process moves faster because you can't just go claiming the name. But if you have that federal trademark, that shows them that you own the rights in it. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, you can check out more at arlensacademy.com. And don't forget, this entire show is brought to you completely free by my company, Higher Runner. To find outstanding talent for your startup, visit higherrunner.co. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.